Hi, it's David Woodwell with another installment of Pennsylvania Legacies, the Pennsylvania Environmental Council's podcast, talking with fun and interesting people working in environment and conservation around Pennsylvania. And today, very happy to have with us Kathy McCollum of McCollum Development Strategies, who has a fantastic history with Main Street redevelopment, historic preservation, river towns, economic development, community development, all kinds of fun stuff not only in Pennsylvania, but beyond. And, Kathy, thank you for coming today. Happy to be here. And so what is it you're doing these days? <laughs> <laughs> yes, after that introduction, yeah, it's probably it, a little yeah. confusing. Um, the last several years, I guess the last seven, I've really begun to focus on community development uh, based on outdoor recreational opportunities for smaller, more rural communities. I was brought into that after about 30 years in urban areas using historic preservation really as the asset to motivate and engage communities. I went in a different direction when the Great Allegheny Passage began to connect many of the rural communities throughout the Laurel Highlands. Um, and the people that were pulling that trail together began also to notice that the towns bordering the trail were seeing new businesses open up or existing businesses expand. So they came to me at the time I was working in Pittsburgh at Pittsburgh History and Landmarks and asked, could you kind of translate some of the community development main street techniques to rural communities bordering a trail and help them uh, really capitalize on that economic growth. So um, working with several others, uh, we created a process that became known as the Trail Town Program. Um, and since then, that particular program has been duplicated all throughout Pennsylvania. In Kentucky, they've made it a statewide program. West Virginia's looking at it. So it's been a successful approach. And a couple of years later, working with Pennsylvania Environmental Council, we looked at navigable recreational rivers as that same kind of asset to encourage community um, engagement. Uh, Pennsylvania Environmental Council's approach to this was uh, if the communities were engaged and realizing the economic benefit of outdoor recreation, they would be certainly more aggressive in sustaining conserving, maintaining the natural assets that were pulling in the visitors. So that was the connection between what I was doing in community development and what the folks at Pennsylvania Environmental Council were doing and continue to do. So the jump for you from historic preservation to sort of this economic development that may be ice cream shops, bike shops, B&Bs, how did that feel? Was that a natural shift? Was it the same kind of stuff or was it a major sort of correction? Um, it was basically the same principles. The core to all of these community development techniques or tactics really is based in assets. And in urban areas, the assets often are historic buildings. And if a community understands that rather than tearing them down, they can become an even greater asset and attract investment and visitors, as well as, frankly, improve their quality of life, they then can engage. They don't have to build something. It's there. They just have to care for it. So that kind of thinking for community development, engagement, preservation, translates quite easily into a natural asset, 
such as a navigable river or one that, um, like a trail, which was a railroad bed and through the Laurel Highlands, now a trail, they're both assets that attract people, improve residential quality of life, and ultimately attract economic impact, investors. And we saw it again and again. And that's being seen all along the trails? It is, along long-distance trails in particular, because obviously the longer distance somebody is traveling, the more they're going to need services, and the more they will look for businesses, restaurants, food, lodging, bike repairs. So they spend more money. Money translates into economic benefit for these communities and business growth. With a navigable recreational river, often made more difficult to measure because, you know, paddlers and canoeists and kayakers will come and go in a more quiet fashion than trail users. However, the studies that are beginning to emerge in the industry demonstrate that it's every bit as of economic impact. Anglers spend, you know, about on average 49 or so dollars according to one study paddlers and canoeists it varies but still they're dropping you know 10 20 dollars in a small community in a single business in a single day multiplied you see why it generates some growth for these towns so a lot of what you're doing is also encouraging outsiders to come into communities yes, whether the trail yes, comes yes that's not always a pleasant experience or it hasn't been historically I mean, how's it going now oh that's a really great question because yes in the very beginning when i started working with some of the towns along the great allegheny passage they didn't understand the market uh, small towns, uh, by their very nature, sometimes don't see outsiders quite as frequently as an urban environment. I mean, clearly they don't. So they're a little less um, apt to just throw up in their arms and welcome them. So we did really have to uh, change their, the, the people, the locals, we call them, their approach to these outsiders. And one of the first things we began to explain that to them is that people on a bike trail people who are partaking in a canoe and a, you know, a kayak of their rivers, they're not the kind of people that will leave trash behind, will do any harm. They skew older as a general rule. Certainly they love the, they love nature. They understand the environment. They're outside because they appreciate it, and they're not there to do any damage. Uh, the leave no trace behind really permeates in most of these users. So then the townspeople began to see them coming in, sitting down at their restaurants, stopping in at their stores, talking to them on the streets, and have across the board really turned around and embraced them. Um, they've also In- found including you. Including I mean, you went you went all in, right? You went all in. I did. I moved. Thing. I moved to one of those small towns. I left Pittsburgh. My husband and I left Pittsburgh to relocate in a trail town in southern Somerset County, known as Confluence. And I have to tell you that we're not alone in that. I would say that there are. 20 to 40 other families that have relocated from Virginia, from D.C. area, from the Pittsburgh area, either for a second home, a vacation home, or like us, full-time. Is that unusual in the trail towns, or is that sort of that kind of thing happening in other places, too? seems to be happening more and more often. Again, we study the impact of these recreational assets a great deal, 
And it is being found that as people discover the trail, they are looking for investment opportunities, sometimes in a semi-retirement mode where they say, "Mm, I'm tired of my fast-paced job in in Arlington, and I want to uh, settle in Confluence or Myersdale or Rockwood, open a B&B or a deli or a bike shop, and for a few more years work and enjoy river and and bike. Now, after the five, ten years, we're also finding those initial ones, those initial semi-retirement businesses, they're actually retiring and not working at all, but they still choose to live there. I think that's a trend that you'll continue to see. Um, with outdoor recreational kinds of community development. All right, let me back up a bit. Sure. Historic preservation. People who don't want to change anything. Mm-hmm. They want the world to stop or something. I mean, that's maybe an unfair statement. Yeah, that's but, a little strong. Yeah, so, what, so what, how do you describe historic preservation? Because I think there have been battles. I mean, it's gone to Supreme Courts and states and other places about, you know, you can't change parts of houses, and it's sort of been seen there. There's other sides to this, though, correct? Oh, there most definitely is. I mean, anyone who understands history um, can, if they open their mind and understand historic preservation. It's just the tangible aspect of history. I mean, in order to really appreciate where you are, you must understand where you've come from. If you're going to move forward in anything you do, having to being able to touch and understand what's come before is important. Uh, historic preservation has made, in my opinion, Pittsburgh a phenomenal city. Um, you cannot walk through any street in Pittsburgh's neighborhood and not really understand the value of those old, stately, incredibly well-built buildings that you can touch and see and feel a part of our past. They give you the sense of place that makes a place special. If you've ever walked in a community that is brand new, uh, brass and glass, I call them, broad sidewalks, uh, lots of parking lots, you'd understand immediately why a walk down Manchester, for example, is such a, a much more engaging, enlightening experience. So I would say that historic preservation is extraordinarily important. People who have a misunderstanding about it are looking at particular ordinances. Um, like zoning, like any sort of building code, ordinances can sometimes be misinterpreted, can sometimes be abused, can sometimes be misunderstood. In our country, actually, historic preservation is one, the, the law really is for the public. It doesn't really have a, a negative impact on privately owned buildings. That's really not understood well. It's when you use public dollars building a highway, for example, and tearing down historic buildings that you run into a problem because what you're doing is impacting that which is of public value. You're using public dollars, so you have to understand the public has rights. So historic preservation is simply a important aspect that allows us to keep in touch with our past and really, I think, improves our present and will teach our future. How'd you get into it? What got you into that realm? Um, oh, that's an... Also an excellent question. I actually started in community development, but I was in Louisville, Kentucky, in the historic district. So the partner in that particular project, and we were restoring a music box theater, theater and building, and a grand hotel and building new construction, the partner was Arthur Ziegler, who was was working with a Kentucky-based partner. And then 
Mr. Ziegler transferred me when he was done with that work, I followed him back to Pittsburgh and, and started working with Pittsburgh History and Landmarks. So I fell into it through community development. So, and you're back doing community development. This yes, the, the, sort of the circle, circle. On all these. So, so you've been working in dozens, literally, of communities, whether it's canal towns, river towns, trail towns. Mm-hmm. Do you have a favorite town besides the one you moved to? <laughs> For a best story. Ooh, yeah. dangerous it's question. It's very dangerous, yeah. They're, and I'll give you a political answer. Yeah. Um, they're all very special. They're very different. And I think that's why I've so very much enjoyed doing this. Uh, you, I've been able to work in towns like Shepherdstown, West Virginia, which if you, I know you've been, but if you haven't, if your listener has never been, I highly recommend it. Um, it's a beautifully historic community, cobblestone, cobblestone streets, you know, right up to the sidewalk, lots of historic buildings in a beautiful, you know, surrounding the Shenandoah rivers right there, trails, the canal. It is spectacular and reeks of history. Or Sharpsburg, right down the the road from Shepherdstown and Harpers Ferry in the other direction. I mean, how much more can you be, you know, in in touch with history? But then a town like Rockwood in Pennsylvania is this sweet community right off the Great Allegheny Passage that at first you think, oh, there can't be much here. And then you turn a corner and there's a mural on a wall. Or you go up the steps to a an old grain building that's been converted into a into a um, show place where you watch the, you know, you eat dinner, I forget what they call that, dinner and a show kind of thing. So live theater, as well as a wonderful little commercial shop there. So there's little hidden gems in all of these communities. And But mostly what I've liked is the people. I When I first left Pittsburgh after 30 years, people were surprised because I'd worked in urban settings for so very long and, and loved it. And I still love Pittsburgh. But I've always said that thought that I really am much more comfortable in rural. I'm a rural gal, I guess. So I've enjoyed enjoyed both. Well, if you look back, okay, so going back 20 years in time, <clears throat> everything was about doing comprehensive plans and all these big pieces that then we would say sat on shelves. <laughs> Is that still what you're doing? No, no. Um, I don't like really to to do planning. I know that's probably not a very politic thing to say at any time, but I really like to do. I like projects. So planning is important. I understand that if you don't have a vision, you never know where you're going. But so often, to your point, communities have planned and then nothing came of it. So one of the basic parts of this program has always been we don't do planning, we do projects based on previous plans. I mean, it's not that we start from scratch. And if a plan doesn't exist or, in fact, is set on the shelf for too long, another first action is to talk to the community. What do they want? What's important to the people who live and work in that town? It's not any of us going in and saying, this is what you need. It's listening to what they want, what they feel they they desire. Because if you don't do it that way, then you're simply not going to get engagement. You're not going to find any passion. You're just going to do and then do again and then do again. So our sometimes it's slow. Sometimes the community doesn't engage right away. Sometimes it takes them a while to, to really get in, in, in sync with the value of connecting to the river or to understand the visitors from the trail. But after they do, then they're engaged. Then they can sustain it. And keep going. And do they? 
I would say, you know, I would not be telling the truth yeah. if, I, if I said 100% of the time, yes, no. It's never 100% of the time, but I w- I'm, I'm really quite pleased that thus far in this program, 80%, 8 out of 10 communities engage and keep moving forward, sometimes on a smaller scale, because these are small towns. I mean, we work in towns that are 300 sometimes. Now, granted, the ones near the Schuylkill River in Philly, neighborhoods were much larger, but the rural communities are small. So sometimes it's just one person who keeps going, but then that person will bring another. A good example is Rice's Landing, 320 people. They used to have a river fest that brought in thousands. The people who were running it left town, it died. Went on a hiatus five, six years. The Rivertown program came in. We talked and talked and talked. We walked. We talked about projects. We did art. We cleaned. We repaired a playground. But no real engagement from the community. There wasn't really, we want to get in there with you. Um, and then we left and went on to other communities. Um, a year later, the River Fest started again. And now, you know, it's like, wow, the people who are doing that listen, they heard, they just waited for their own timing. And I went to it a couple weekends ago. There had to be two or 3,000 people crammed into Little Rice's Landing. So it was really rewarding. So you've got these communities like Rice's Landing, especially on the Monongahela River, where at one point there was industry. Right. I mean, there was something there. And then time or economy or something sort of passed them by. People right. left, some stayed. And in you know one of the things in Pennsylvania is we've got over twenty five hundred municipalities. <laughs> is right. these all these places have their own governance structure and everything else? Are we trying to? Are you trying to resurrect them? Or are we trying to keep them going? Are we trying to keep them from going under? What's the? What's sort of the? The end game. Yeah. I think every place is special. It's particularly special to the people who live there. Um, you're right. They're smaller. Their industries are different. So I think what we're offering is an opportunity for these small towns to continue. If they don't wish to grasp a new industry, like outdoor recreation, if their children can not find enough work in outdoor recreation, uh, then the reality is they probably will continue to shrink and ultimately disappear. I like to look, talk about it not in terms of saving a community, but giving it yet another opportunity, a tool in a toolbox, so to speak. Uh, Outdoor recreation is a piece of a a puzzle that gives these towns something to look at, something to move forward to. Does it replace the extraction-based industries? No. But can it change a community? Absolutely, and Confluence is the prime example. It It is no longer shrinking in size. It probably will never grow much beyond its 720 people, but it can support those 720 now. But at the same time, there's a flip side. I mean, this sounds like it's all about economic development. There's also the flip side of this, which is stewardship. Yes. So you've got not only the people coming in to recreate, coming down and seeing the place and in some ways becoming stewards of those communities, but also becoming stewards of the resources that are there, whether it's the trail or the river or forests. And is there... Do you see that happening? Absolutely. And I can do I can use Confluence again because it's a first hand experience. Mm-hmm. I'm not giving you anecdotes, I'm giving you what I see, what I yeah. hear, what I know is happening. And to your point, I've we've now been there seven years. I have watched building after building, I'm not exaggerating, be improved. Building after building has been reconstructed, yards have been cleaned up. 
businesses have opened. Uh, we've had, we now have a town 720. There are six places to eat in Confluence. You know, there are two places to buy groceries. There's a bike rental, a massage parlor, a place to get my nails done, my hair done. Why? Because little by little, the people who live there have their property values are going up too. They're improving their property. And are they sustaining the resources? You betcha. <laughs> At first, they didn't see any value in the trail whatsoever, but now they're the first out there clearing. We have a, a um, online kind of volunteer system, and the gentleman who leads the effort, I, I, he probably rode the trail 10 years ago, but he doesn't any longer. But he'll tell you immediately that the limbs are down on the trail or there's been a washout or there's a board loose on the bridge. And we'll have five, six, seven volunteers cleaning up. Not people who use the trail, people who live in the town. The same for the river. There was a big issue in this particular community about the water. Immediately, lots of input because there's recognition that the water in the area is extraordinarily important. And it's the confluence of the Castleman and Yakagani Rivers at the top end, at the upriver end of Ohio Powell State Park. That's true. And if you bike from Ohio Pile up to Confluence, which is about 11 miles, you've got hikers, walkers, through cyclists who are going D.C. to Pittsburgh or Pittsburgh to D.C. or some part of that. Families out for the day. There are now drift boats going by with fly fishermen and guides in them, Mm -hmm. which looks more like Montana than Western (laughs) Pennsylvania, which is cool. People wait in the river, kayakers, people learning to rafters, everything. It's It's pretty incredible. It's an amazing spot. And Ohio Pile gets, what, like a million and a half visitors a year. So where are you going next with this? Um, we have seen a great deal of interest along the Monongahela River, a challenge because that those are the communities that were the Mon- that are still the Mon River Valley that were very industrial, still are, um, you know, still feel very industrial. They're not, they don't have the same kind of architectural rural um, kind of uh, culture. So it's a different program, but one of my really, I think, one of the great exciting things in, in the Mon River Valley is that the structures that were part of the steel, part of the coal industry still are there. So you have coal tipples in the water and these great big structures where the coal barges uh, still do, but came in large numbers. Those kinds of artifacts, I think, make for some really unique, exciting opportunities for these communities. And next next month, we're bringing a series of artists in from Touchstone Center for the Arts in the Laurel Highlands. They come from all over the country. They're going to tour these industrial artifacts. And with their vision, hopefully we'll begin a discussion of, you know, what can be done with some of these that are now just, you know, not used at all? Can they be art on the river? Could they even be a restaurant over, you know, over yeah, the river? Cool. It would make for a unique destination. So this thing's called Pennsylvania Legacies, this podcast thing that we do. And you're dealing with places that are that have many legacies, mm-hmm. good and bad, and you're also creating new legacies. When you're done with all this... What's your legacy on this? <laughs> wow. Do you, do you use that question for everyone? No, I don't know. We'll see. Maybe. <laughs> Maybe. I, I really hope that not just me, but the people that have been yeah. involved in this program make a difference for these communities. I re- Again, we didn't build the Great Allegheny Passage, but I think we're helping connect it. We certainly didn't have anything to do with the Mon or the Allegheny River or the other wonderful rivers throughout Pennsylvania. But if we can help people see them in new lights, 
then they will actively protect them and they'll be here for their children's children. But I want to see something happen in the communities that, you know, a generation hence can point to and say, that was part of when the town really started to look at the river differently. Very cool. Kathy, thank you for doing You're this. You're very welcome. Thank it you. It's our pleasure. And, uh, you know, check out more of Peck's work and Kathy's work through uh, www.peckpa.org. And we'll be back with another episode of Pennsylvania Legacies again at some future time. Thanks for listening. Pennsylvania Legacies is a production of the Pennsylvania Environmental Council. The views expressed by guests and even by the host are not necessarily those of the Pennsylvania Environmental Council. Our thanks to Regan Curry, who produces this show for us, and also to Very Tight Recordings and Matt, who provides us with the studio space in Sharpsburg, Pennsylvania. Check him out. It's a great facility if you need recording work. And look for the Pennsylvania Environmental Council at www.peckpa.org. Thanks for listening.